Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. What a joy to see all of you. You may have noticed that I shaved this past week. It's the first time in many years. I am still your favorite Asian preacher. Don't be afraid. My kids would not hug me this week because they were so scared. Anyways, uh, again, I am so delighted to be with you, and wherever you might be joining us, maybe online from the other campuses, and certainly here in the sanctuary, I want to invite you at this time to rise to your feet, and in reverence for God's Word, we're going to read the Scriptures together in unison in one voice. We're going to read Matthew 28 first, and then Acts chapter 1. So Matthew 28 Let's read this together in one voice. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And now from Acts 1-8, here we go. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Please have a seat. So, Father, we thank you again so much for the privilege that it is to gather together with men, women, and children from all backgrounds, stories, and ethnicities. We ask now for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to be among us. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, today we're teaching about we are here to share. Sharing, a biblical theological word for sharing is this word called evangelism. Now, I don't know about you. But at least from the city where I live in Seattle, I find that more and more Christians have an uncomfortable relationship even with the word evangelism. And I actually hear Christians call it the E word because that word makes us feel uncomfortable. Now, I suspect that one of the reasons why we feel uncomfortable about evangelism is that we have this worst-case scenario outlying caricature about evangelism. And typically, maybe it's the image of that street evangelist wearing a streetboard sign with a hideous message with a megaphone screaming at people as they're walking along. Now, maybe some of the message at first seems okay, but as the screaming and the volume goes up, it sounds like, hey, you're going to burn in hell. I still remember the first time I came across a street preacher when I was 18 years old at my college campus, and the street preacher actually turned, looked at me, and said, you better turn or burn. I don't know why you're laughing at that. That was very traumatic. 
But you understand my point is that as a result of this caricatures or bad experiences, and it seems like we live in a culture today where the media only captures horrific images of certain situations, and as a result, many Christians feel timid and afraid about sharing their faith. According to the Barna Report, some research done several years ago, it actually communicates that among millennial Christians, 47% of millennial Christians believe that evangelism is actually wrong. So one out of every two. Now, just for comparison, for Gen X, that was at 27%. And for boomers, it was at 19%. So it's one out of every two for millennials and one out of every five. Now, we just read scripture where Jesus is commanding us to be a participant, an active participant about sharing this good news. And so as a result, many of us, even right now, we're hesitant, afraid, reticent to engage in what it means to be sharers of good news. So before we dive into the sermon, I thought it would be important for us to explain what evangelism is. That we don't allow a street preacher with an angry message hijacking the beauty of evangelism. So friends, what is evangelism? Evangelism comes from the Greek word, literally, the Greek word is euangelion. And euangelion literally means, here it is, good news. That's what it means. Good news. The good news is gospel. Gospel is good news. So what is good about the gospel? Well, as I read the scriptures, this is what I believe the gospel to be. Friends, there is a God. He's the one true God. This God, out of love and benevolence, created the cosmos, created the universe, created stars and galaxies, the Milky Way, the solar system, created the earth, created the heavens, created sea, sky, and land. But this God does not stop there. He creates man and woman in his own image. This God breathes spirit into man and woman and desires fellowship and friendship and relationship with his creation. Despite sin and rebellion, this God does not abandon, turn his back, but he continues to pursue after humanity. This God sends his only son, Jesus Christ. And this Christ abandons the glory of heaven, comes to this earth to walk among us, to show us the way. This Jesus forgives sin. This Jesus dies on the cross for the sins of the world and the power of God raised Jesus from the dead and God remains victorious. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In other words, Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and he will accomplish what he said he will accomplish, and Jesus is not yet done. Friends, this good news is not just good news for me. It's good news for you. It's good news for you. It's good news for your family, for your neighbors, for your co-workers. It's good news even for your enemies. It's good news for those who think differently on whatever hot topic issue. It's good news for Chicago. It's good news for Illinois. It's good news for folks in California. It's good news for people in Russia. It's good news for people in Congo. It is good news for the nations because God loves the nations. So what's evangelism? Evangelism simply means sharing that Jesus is Lord. It's sharing that Jesus loves, Jesus saves, and Jesus wants a relationship with us. That same Barna report that I prefaced earlier, it also tells us that for Christians, they believe 94 to 97% of Christians believe that the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to know Jesus. 94 to 97%, and I believe this, it's the most significant, the best thing that has ever happened in my life. But you see the disconnect? Here we say 94 to 97%, and now we're seeing more and more Christians believing that evangelism, sharing the gospel, isn't important or wrong or they're simply unafraid. This is why this morning I want to dig in with you. I want to challenge you lovingly and pastorally, and I want to speak to you about six reasons, six barriers that impede us, stop us, hinder us, from sharing our faith in Jesus. Now, there's more, but for the sake of time, I want to focus on six things. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit might encourage you and convict you because what it means to be a follower of Jesus is not a bystander faith. It requires, invites all of us to be active participants in doing the work of the kingdom of God. So let's begin. Here's barrier number one, and it's this. It's erroneous theology doesn't even matter. Erroneous theology doesn't even matter. So in my experience as a pastor, especially in my context living in Seattle for 23 years, I find more and more people believing, does it even matter? Is Jesus Christ the only way? Doesn't all roads, all paths, all directions lead to the same destination? No matter what religion, no matter what faith, no matter where we place our trust, at the end, isn't it all the exact same thing? And if you think this way, the conclusion is, well, then I don't really have to share. And evangelism and sharing the gospel is insignificant. 
Now, another way that I would articulate this is something that I call closet universalism. Universalism is this philosophy, this idea that all roads, all religions, in essence, are the same. It all leads to the same destination. And I find more and more Christians who might be afraid to say this, but they think this and they believe this. And as a result, they're thinking, well, why should I even participate in sharing? It doesn't matter. Sometimes we have hypothetical scenarios that we struggle with. They'll say, Pastor Eugene, how about that situation of a person in a remote village in this particular country or about a child who dies shortly after birth? And I know those are real situations. And I always tell people, remind people, our God is merciful and gracious and loving. And I know there's room and space for these things. But as we're speaking about you, and as we're speaking about people who are given the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus, I still believe in the reality of eternity with God and eternity apart from God. Now, this sermon isn't the sermon where we answer in depth this theological question. Perhaps someday you'll talk about this more in depth But I want you to realize why people who believe in this no longer believe that it's not that important to share the gospel. Another way to articulate this is spiritual privilege. Someone prayed for you. Someone encouraged you. Someone invited you to church. Someone led Christ, you to Christ. Someone invited you a middle school camp and the list goes on. I can think of many people in my life before I made a decision to accept Jesus at the age of 18 who invested prayerfully and intentionally in my life. I experienced this, but imagine if I said, well, it doesn't matter and I'm going to let that stop with me. You see my point? It's important for you To understand that human beings are part of God's plan to participate in the Great Commission. Here's barrier number two. We've personally forgotten the love of Christ. We've personally forgotten the love of Christ. Now, I made a decision to follow Jesus at the age of 18. I was struggling as a high school student with my identity Uh, With being an immigrant in this country, I experienced different kinds of pain in my life. I struggled with substance abuse when I was a younger person. And at the age of 18, right after high school, it came to pass where I was helping at my mother's deli shop in her small little coffee shop in an IBM building. And I came across a brother by the name of Remando Gonzalez, who was working as the custodian of that building. And I feel like, looking back, I labored through four years of Spanish to be able to really engage and build this friendship and to hear the gospel from Raimondo. And I still remember to this day, Raimondo, every day, after building friendship, trust, relationship with me, one day he said, Eugenio, tu necesitas Jesus Cristo en tu corazón. You need Jesus Christ in your heart. And he would invite me, Eugenio, ¿quieres aceptar Jesus Cristo en tu corazón? 
Every day he would share scripture with me one by one by one. I never said yes in front of him. But at the end of that summer, in the privacy of my bedroom, I said yes to Jesus. I said, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? I confess and I commit that you are Lord and Savior of my life. And I began to experience a peace and joy that I had never, ever experienced before. I'm not suggesting that my life overnight became a completely different product. But I'm simply telling you that the Holy Spirit entered my life and began the work of transformation of my life. I don't ever want to forget the joy of my salvation. Sometimes as we look back, we think it's kind of a theoretical, theological, intellectual affair. Listen, yes, you said yes to Jesus many years ago, maybe last year, maybe this past Easter. But I also want you to know, we actually celebrate the joy of salvation every single day. You wake up in the morning and say, God, I am so grateful that I was once dead, but you have made me alive. Every day we celebrate this good news. Psalm chapter 51 verse 12 says, restore to me. The joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Do you remember the joy of your salvation? You see, when you remember it for yourself, it increases your capacity for other people. Because that's good news. If you know good news, what do you want to do with good news? You want to share good news with other people. Hey, have you heard the good news? That Jesus loves you, sees you, knows you, forgives you. He wants a relationship with you. My wife and I, about 20 years ago, we celebrated the arrival of our first child. Her name is Jubilee. And now when Jubilee joined us, obviously we were so excited, filled with joy, overflowing with pride. But eventually, our conversations became a little skewed because my wife and I had a running bet. What word would our child say first? She thought that Jubilee would say mom in Korean first, "amma," And of course, I thought she would say appa, the Korean word for father first. So for the first year of our child's cognitive development, we stunted it because we only taught her two words. <laughs> Oma and Appa. Almost every single day, my wife would go to Jubilee and say, Jubia, Oma, say Oma, Oma, no milk for you, Oma, Oma. And of course, I would go to my daughter and say, Jubi, say Appa, Appa. Appa and Juby would be unresponsive to either of us. Ten months in, she says her first word. Amma. Crush me. I take her out of the will at that moment. Now, I suspected that Juby would eventually learn to say Appa a day, a week, a month. Two months go by, and after a while, I just 
quit. But I still remember the exact day, the exact time where I'm driving back from church, parked the car in the garage, open the door, connecting the garage to the living room. I open the door, Jubilee's on the floor playing. I enter in, she locks eyes to me and the most beautiful words I've ever heard. She says, Appa. And I started tearing with such joy. At that moment, I sensed, I felt so vividly the Holy Spirit speak into my heart, into my spirit, and this is what I heard. Eugene, you have this much joy that your daughter has acknowledged you as your father. How much more must God be overjoyed when one of his child says yes to me? The Bible says, heaven's Rejoice! There's a great celebration when one person, one sinner comes to know the love of the Father's heart. Don't forget the love of Christ. Here's barrier number three, and it's this. We struggle with fear. Now, I want you to know that as a pastor, I want to confess that I wrestle with fear. And to be honest, I don't know of any other pastors personally that also struggle with fear. Now, what is it about fear? Maybe it's the fear of rejection. No one likes to be rejected, especially by people that we know. But do you know that Jesus himself was rejected? Rejected by people on the inside, people on the outside, people that were close to him, people that were distant from him. He was rejected by religious leaders. He was rejected by the rich young ruler. Rejection does not mean that we should not engage in the invitation that Jesus has given us. Maybe it's the fear of being characterized as one of those Christians. Now, I know we're afraid. We have these uh, caricatures in our larger society. But I also want you to know that the only way that people's false understanding of Christianity will be broken down is through real human beings like you and I. People that are going to go lovingly, honestly with people and say, I don't have all of the answers, but I want to share who Jesus is. Maybe it's the fear of the fact that our culture and society seems to be shifting and changing in many ways. In the Seattle context, to be honest with you, I've wrestled with the fact that I feel like in the 23 years that I lived in Seattle, things have definitely shifted in many ways. And as a result, one possibility is I cringe, I shrink in fear and timidity, and I no longer ever tell anyone, share with anyone that I'm a follower of Jesus. But do you know that the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a power, love, and self-discipline. Rather than cringing in fear, in shame, in timidity, What that ought to encourage us is to remind us, as we read in Matthew and Acts, to remember we're not alone. Jesus is with you. 
mountaintops, valleys, everything in between, the power of the Holy Spirit is with you. You don't live alone. The Spirit of God is within us. And so it's a reminder to us to come to the Holy Spirit. God, Spirit, I need you. Give me wisdom. Give me discernment. Give me a a way to communicate with other people. Let me give you a real life example from my life. In the beginning, as I got to know my neighbors in different places that I lived in Seattle over the past 23 years, eventually, as I get to know people, among the first three questions, usually, what's your name? The second one is, where are you from? But eventually, one of the first three questions is, what do you do? So in the beginning, as a new Seattleite, I would say, I'm a pastor. And I was shocked because people's faces would contort in ways that they're trying not to show that their faces are contorting, but it's contorting. They take a half step back, some a full step. And it's amazing the excuses, I, I got to go, I'm, I'm busy, um, I got to uh, go and do stuff. And I never get a chance to even start a conversation with people. And as a result, I think to myself, is it me? Is it my breath? What's going on? Why aren't people interested in a relationship, a conversation, and a friendship? And here's the thing, you can't love your neighbors if you don't know your neighbors. So we have to actually get to know our neighbors. One of the best ways of sharing the gospel is to get to know our neighbors. And so I prayed, asking God for wisdom and discernment, and I began to realize it's not because I'm timid or I'm embarrassed to be a pastor. I realized I needed to be discerning how I shared my story. So when people say, hey, what do you do? Now, Seattle tends to be A very progressive city. Some of it's good, some of it's not so good. But in Seattle, I realized that when folks ask me, what do you do? I now respond by saying, I'm a teacher. And you know, all progressives love teachers. (laughs) And they'll ask the question, this is the first. They'll say, oh, what do you teach? Yes. I said, oh, I, um, I teach spirituality. Oh. <laughs> now, you know every human being is spiritual on some level or another. And so they'll say, oh, what kind of spirituality? Like, I, I, I teach the spirituality of Yeshua, the Aramaic Hebrew word for Jesus. Now, they don't know that. Oh. <laughs> What is that? Now, I'm not trying to be funny. It's amazing how many opportunities I've had for people to say, what's Yeshua? Uh, Yeshua is another name for someone named Jesus. And people have so much skepticism, so much suspicion about Christianity, about the institution of Christianity, Catholic, Protestant, all of the above. But when it's all said and done, they don't necessarily have an issue with the person of Jesus. See, we have to be wise, smart, discerning, loving, kind, gracious. We don't 
have to be afraid. Here's barrier number four. We focus on the ends of the earth at the expense of Jerusalem. Or we forget Jerusalem. Now, let me spend a few moments here. Let's talk about you and me. This is us. If we were to transpose what we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts 1, verse 8 says what? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So if you were living in Jerusalem back then, here's Jerusalem. Judea was the larger region around that area. Samaria was a source of conflict, division, hatred, tension, and then you had the ends of the earth. So again, if you were to transpose this to our culture, I would say that's you. Your Jerusalem is basically your sphere of influence, your co-workers, your neighbors, your family, people that you engage with on a regular basis. Judea would represent Chicago, Illinois, this larger region that we ought to care about your city. We care about civic affairs. You care about the welfare, the flourishing of your larger state and forth. And then you've got Samaria representing, again, conflict, division, tension, racism, sexism, and the list goes on. And yes, we must care about this because Jesus says we ought to care about the whole gospel. And of course, we've got the earth, the nations. That hasn't changed. You've got to hear this really well. Because it's possible that some of you might walk away completely misunderstanding what I'm going to say. The ends of the earth matters. The nations matter. Some of the favorite things that I have about Willow, Celebration of Hope, the 5K race, the Bridge Care Center, it all matters. It matters that you come to the 5K race to raise resources and awareness for those playgrounds in Africa and Latin America. But as Christians care about the earth, as we care about justice, about racial reconciliation, as we care about the civic affairs of Chicago and Illinois, as we talk about voting, as we engage the political process, you can do all of these things and we're not even willing to cross the street to our neighbors. We're not even willing to befriend our coworkers. We're not even willing to reach out to our relatives. You see, Jesus loves everyone. And I find in my experience as a pastor that it's become very uh, nouveau, very celebratory to engage in politics, to engage in justice work, to engage in global work, but we're not willing to love and engage our Jerusalem. You see what I'm trying to say? Here's barrier number five. Someone else is going to do it. Some of us think this way. Some of us think, you know what? Willow Church will do it. 
My pastors would do it. My section leader would do it. Or some of you, you might be thinking, you know what? I don't have all the answers. Here's my response. Who does? Some of you might be thinking, I'm not perfect. Who is? If you come across any Christians who say, I'm perfect, I guarantee you they struggle with the sin of lying. It doesn't exist. Some of us might be saying, you know what, Pastor Eugene, I get what you're saying. I just don't have the gift of evangelism. When we read the Great Commission in Matthew 28, did you read Jesus saying, for those who are gifted, for those who are called, for those who want to, for those who are left-handed, for those who live in this particular area of Chicago, Or is this directed an invitation for all people? Acts chapter 13 verse 47 says this. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. Not offer for consideration. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Be light, shine the light and love of Jesus. Don't hide it under a bushel. I'm not suggesting that you have to say the name of Jesus every other word. I'm saying that don't be afraid to let people know about your story. One of the best ways, I think, the most genuine way that we can share the story of Jesus is to share what God has done for you. That you were once here and you're not perfect, but by the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, you were once dead, but Jesus has made you alive. That's sharing your story. And when someone asks you a question that you don't know, one of the best answers to give is to say, I don't know, but would you give me a couple days? I'd love to speak with my pastors. I'd love to do some more reading and research. It shows two things. One, that you're a human being that don't have all the answers, but it also shows that you care for that person enough that you want to continue the conversation. One of the best emails I ever, ever get as a pastor is when someone emails me and says, I did not like your sermon. That was a joke. (laughs) The best email that I could ever get is this. Pastor Eugene, I'm trying to share about Jesus with someone, and this person asked me this question. Could you help me with this or direct me to a resource I could read more? I love those emails. We don't have all the answers, but it's okay. Share your story with others. Here's the last barrier, and it's this. It's a phrase that I've heard many times, and it goes like this. I haven't experienced success. And if I haven't experienced success, it's not working, so it shouldn't matter, and I think I'm just going to quit This is not what I thought it was going to be. I'm tired. It's a little challenging. They're giving me awkward looks. And part of the reason why we think this way is we're conditioned in our larger culture to have this instant gratification, instant results mentality. Maybe you've heard that one story of someone who shared the gospel and their neighbor within three minutes said yes to Jesus, fell on their knees, and a light shone upon heaven on that person. Now, 
I'm not dismissing that those stories don't happen. I believe, personally, that about 99% of people coming to faith is through faithful, ongoing relationships. Building trust, sharing stories again and again, sharing meals, having discussions. You see, discipleship, as well as sharing good news, it's like a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a 5K and beyond. I sometimes think about the stories throughout my life that I've experienced people persevering and sharing their story. I was a youth pastor in South Korea many years ago, and I had a high school youth group student who came to know Jesus because her friend brought her to church, and I think as a third grader, she said yes to Jesus. And her heart was filled with joy. She comes home and shares this good news with her parents. Her parents scold her, reprimand her. This better not impact your studies. Every day she would share the good news of Jesus. Jesus loves you, mom and dad. They would say no. And so this young girl commits to going to early morning prayer meeting every single day from Monday to Saturday. Early morning prayer called Sebekido in Korean starts at 5 a.m. in the morning. She gets up at 4 a.m., walks, gets on the bus, goes to church, and prays for her mom and dad for eight years. Kept persisting because she remembers the joy of her salvation. And when she was a sophomore or junior in high school, somehow God breaks through her parents' heart and her parents say yes to Jesus. It's a marathon. It's a marathon. Sometimes I want you to realize, I want you to hear this well, salvation doesn't belong to you. It doesn't happen in your timing. It doesn't happen because of your cool strategies. It happens because the Holy Spirit is working and working and working behind the scenes in ways that we don't know, but we just have to be faithful. We've got to be available. We've got to be accessible. We've got to say yes to Jesus. When I look back on my life, yes, I said yes to Jesus at the age of 18. But when I look back on my life, I realized that there was Curtis who shared Jesus with me. There was a girl named Tammy Law in middle school who shared the gospel with me. I said no to her when she invited me to church, but it got me thinking. Roland invited me to church. I went to church this time, and the sermon got me angry, but it got me thinking. There was a girl named Ingrid Austin who shared the gospel with me with her kindness, and it got me thinking. You see, what we're called to do is to keep planting seeds, to water those seeds, to nurture those seeds, to keep planting those seeds, to water those seeds, to nurture those seeds, believing and trusting that God is at work, believing and trusting that God desires as many people to come to know him as Abba, Father, Savior. So friends, listen, nobody here at church is telling you to get on a bullhorn and to scream at people. We're simply asking you, remember the joy of your salvation. Remember your story. 
Tell someone what Jesus has done for you. Love others so much that you want them to experience what you've experienced for yourselves now. Friends, would you rise to your feet? And as you rise to your feet, I want to just ask you to think about one person that comes to mind. Just one person that comes to mind. Maybe it's someone that you wrote on that sticker. Maybe it's on the respective walls. But can you think about one person that comes to heart and mind right now? And I'm going to say one, two, three, go. After three, I want you to just in faith speak out that person. It's a one-word prayer consisting of that person's name. One, two, three, say that person's name. One, two, three, Ralph. One more time. One, two, three, Ralph. In Jesus' name. Father, we pray for those who are here right now. I pray, God, that you would remind us of the joy of our salvation, that you would spur us on with courage, authenticity, as we recount who you are and what you've done for us. And we pray in faith for every name that was written on a sticker, for every name that was prayed out from our lips. We pray for them. We pray for their heart, spirit, body, mind. We pray for a breakthrough in their life. We pray, God, for opportunities to be able to respectfully but genuinely be able to share stories, hear stories, listen to stories, and to share the ultimate story of who Jesus is. Friends, as we close in prayer, eyes closed, I want to extend an invitation to anyone here today. As we're talking about the gospel, I think it would be off not to give someone an opportunity to say yes to Jesus today. So I'm not here to embarrass you. If you can have your eyes closed out of respect for people, but if you are sitting here, standing here right now, and you've never said yes to Jesus, maybe you've been coming to church for a week, a month, a year, for years, maybe this is your first time at church today. But today, if you believe that Jesus loves you, that Jesus saves you, that Jesus is with you, and you want to confess your sins and commit your life to Jesus, if that's you, please raise your hand so that we can pray for you right now. Eyes are closed. Raise your hand. I see you. I see you, couple. I see you here on the right section. I see you way in the balcony, a couple brothers in the back. I see you out in the second deck. I see you in the balcony way, brother. I see you, sister, way on my left in the balcony. Just keep your hands up just for a second so that some of your pastors can look around and also pray for you. Here in the middle section, I see you, sister. I see you here. I see you here in the back. I see you, brother, in the blue sweatshirt. Father, we thank you for these brothers and sisters who lifting hands or perhaps praying this prayer in their minds. Thank you that we believe the gospel is good news. Thank you, God, that Jesus sees us, that Jesus forgives us, that Jesus saves us. 
Father, I pray for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to enter into each and every single person that said yes to Jesus today so that they were once dead, but you, you resurrecting power, that you have made them alive. God, we celebrate this good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, church, listen. Can you guys give a thunderous celebration for those who said yes to Jesus today?